You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On NBA, NBA preview with our NBA expert from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. Locked On NBA is loaded today. There's a million great NBA podcasts out there, including the one Ben does and some others, but we're bringing you something unique that nobody else can. On our other feeds today, you'll have... Eastern Conference preview with the eight Eastern Conference local experts on the biggest stories combined previewing their series. So you've got the Nets hosts and the Sixers hosts together looking at the series. You've got the Magic hosts looking at the series um, as well. So the guys, the local experts who know it best. And then a Western Conference, that same feed will be out with a preview of those four series. And then Ben and I are doing a bigger picture look here. So Locked in NBA has everything you need, plus all the local experts on the stories. Ben, thank you very much for taking the time. It's finally here. Are you ready for the playoffs? I'm so ready, Locke. And let me say, I thought I was bad at procrastinating in college, you know, pulling the all-nighters, waiting till the, you know, right before the test and, and right before the final to write the papers and everything. But these Western Conference teams really procrastinated. It wasn't just the last night of the season. I mean, they went down to the fourth quarter of the last night of the season with guys like Anthony e. Simons, you know, going off for 37 points, influencing the entire playoff chase. And it really went down to the final minute. And then we finally got the matchups. Uh, I can't be more excited to, to be able to break these matchups down. But boy, they made us wait for it. I'm trying to find out what Terry Stotts did to Dave Yeager. <laughs> like, where, where did that where, what's the there's always a backstory right they're like in this league there's things that happen and it looks like one thing on the surface and then if you're inside you're like oh there's another story here oh i didn't know about that like oh that player didn't show up for a draft workout for that team and they're still bitter five years later oh i get it like there's always these other little stories that go on and um, I want to know what the Dave Yeager, Terry Stott story is, because why did Dave Yeager pull his starters last night? It's like the weirdest story ever. So you really want the security cam footage from like the Moda Center hallway at halftime to see if there was some sort of a interaction between the coaches? I, I, it's almost like it goes back to, you know, all these every now and then it's like, all right, fine. You think you're going to do this? We're going to screw you. And I'm not like I Sacramento not playing their starters in the second half of that game doesn't make any sense if you've played your starters for the last week yeah and i mean might, might as well try to go out with a win too if you're them i don't get what they were thinking uh but certainly there's going to be a lot of coaches in the western conference kind of scratching their head about that one because it changed multiple matchups and i think uh you know for some fan bases it, it kind of uh you know, ruined their night i mean i think from the blazers standpoint they the fans were all caught up and what an exciting uh, you know, late season victory, but now you have the prospect of facing the Oklahoma City Thunder when maybe the Utah Jazz would have been a better matchup for them. I mean, Portland's really struggled against Oklahoma City all season long, and you can flip it around and say, well, now Houston, uh, they, they wind up being big losers too because now they have to play Golden State in the second round uh, and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, not getting back to the Western Conference Finals, which is probably what they thought would happen. You know, when, when the season started. So, you know, we can go up and down the list of ramifications from that decision, but it was a wild one. I think the four teams that since February 1st have played the best, and I'm just not counting Portland because of the Nurkic injury only, um, I, I give them credit, but the four teams in the Western Conference that have been the best four teams are on the same side of the bracket. Yeah, it's not great. And I'm also worried the bracket's a little bit front-loaded, too. Like, I think some of the matchups that I'm looking forward to the most would be, obviously, Golden State, Houston, and the West – but also Milwaukee, Boston in the East. And if you're going to get both of those in the second round, I'm worried, okay, what does that 
you know, conference finals round look like? Uh, you know, is there going to be a situation where like Golden State's toughest test comes in the second round? And, and after that, they're just cruising home free. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's getting ahead of ourselves, but it's not the cleanest bracket from sort of a, you know, a best case scenario standpoint from the league offices. Like I think, you know, some of their highest rated matchups are going to be out of the way early. No, that's the, that's a great point. We'll dig in right now. It would last, but here's the contrast. The last two years, the playoffs looked boring, but you knew there was a mega ratings extravaganza at the end of it. And this year is the exact opposite. The ratings are going to be a disaster and you know it now. Uh, and I don't know what they're going to do about it. All right. Let's walk through it. Let's start with the West. Do you, what is your pick that's, uh, Houston, Utah is four or five. Oklahoma City, Portland is 6-3, uh, San Antonio, Denver is 7-2, and uh, Clippers, Warriors is 8-1. What is your most likely upset in the first round of the Western Conference? I mean, I think everyone's going to circle that Oklahoma City, Portland series because of the Nurkic injury that you mentioned. I think that is the right one to circle. Um, at the same time, I, I'm not, I don't think Portland's going down without a fight. You know, uh, Damian Lillard in last year's postseason was limited to like 18 points per game. I do not see that happening again this season. I mean, he's been playing great. Um, he's stepped up with both Nurkic and, and McCollum out of the lineup. Uh, they get McCollum back, which is going to be very helpful in that series. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, they're a little bit more tested in terms of their main guys. Uh, Paul George, you know, he's bringing in the momentum from that big shot the other night. Uh, and I think that uh, they, they've just battled fiercely all season long, those two teams. But I think that the, the injury issue is going to hold Portland back. Um, if I had to pick one upset, that would be the one. The only reason I don't agree with you, and I generally do because of exactly what you said, which is the injury upset. But here's the one reason I don't agree with you. I don't think Oklahoma City is very good. I mean, they've been a tale of two teams, right? You know, like the first half of the season, they're, they're gangbusters because they're playing easier schedule. The second half, they've really come back to earth. And Paul George's health, too, is is an obvious question. Uh, I guess I just drill into the matchups. You know, I, I'm like you. I probably don't trust Russell Westbrook in this postseason format as much as you know, his fans do. Uh, but I worry, how are they going to slow down Paul George? Uh, you know, Enos Cantor, to me, has been kind of a, a cute story for Portland filling in and, and stepping up. Uh, you know, in those minutes uh, vacated by Nurkic, I'm not sure that's going to hold up at the postseason. I think Oklahoma City will be smart enough to be able to exploit his weaknesses like other teams have in the past. Uh, and I just see a big hole there, uh, you know, roster wise in the middle. And, you know, I think Damian will step up and do more, much more than he did last year. But I'm just uh, still concerned that does their offense have enough balance? Are they going to be getting stuff uh, from enough different places? Uh, to be able to keep up with Oklahoma City. It's just been a tough matchup for them all year. I think the Thunder are 4-0 against Portland. I'm not sure that Oklahoma City has legs to kind of get all the way to the Western Conference Finals necessarily. I just think in this specific matchup, uh, they should be favored. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I agree with you. I would pick them, I think, in this series. Um, even though I just made the comment, I don't think they're very good. I actually really have great faith in Terry Stotts, and I think he'll coach a series that will put, he has some things he can do. Um, Ennis Cantor is a problem, though. And then the fact is that if Oklahoma City gets through that first series, I have no reason not to think they'd beat Denver San Antonio, and I might still not think they're very good while they're playing in the Western Conference Finals, which is just really kind of a weird thing. The one thing I would point out that I think is really an interesting um, thing in this matchup for Portland's defense protects the rim about as well as anyone in the NBA. It's not quite, without Nurkic, they're not as good, but they have been one of the better teams in the league at protecting the rim and one of the better teams in the league at kind of forcing you into mid-range shots. And Oklahoma City is not good at that. 
If you can get Oklahoma City, they're 29th in the league in mid-range shooting. They take a decent amount of them. They're not a particularly good above-the-break three-point shooting team. If they don't get to the rim, if Terry drops Ennis back far enough or finds a way to use Zach Collins, or if they if he can get them off the rim, that off Oklahoma City's offense might have a hard time scoring. Yeah, I think we're going to see Portland try to dare Westbrook to beat them, don't you think? I mean, let, you know, let's see it with your jump shot from the mid-range or from the, you know, outside the three-point arc, you know, above the break. I mean, I think they're going to be sort of willing to live with that. I would imagine they're going to concentrate a lot of their defensive attention on Paul George and try to keep him in check. I mean, that's only natural given how well he's shot the ball this season, how well he's played this season. Uh, Aminu is not the worst one-on-one matchup for Paul George. Uh, you know, that's a, a pretty nice body you can throw at him. Uh, I think that much like some teams we've seen in the playoffs uh, in, in past years, I think they're going to be living with, you know, Westbrook just trying to go wild and crazy and do everything and, and trying to encourage him to do that. I think the, it's, they, I think they have three, you know, they're three guys they can send Harkless, Turner, and Aminu all at, Paul George is probably as good as most people have. So, um, but they're, you know, the Nurkic injury changes everything. There's just, there's no question there. All right. Let's, uh, what, whose reputation as a player do you think has the most on the line in the Western Conference? To me, it's, uh, Nikola Jokic. I wrote about him this week for the Washington Post. I think it's just a fascinating situation here because of what an amazing regular season he's had. I mean, to me, he's a top five MVP candidate, first time all star, you know, strong candidate to be all NBA first team. And you've got this real debate about, okay, how much is he going to translate to the postseason? I mean, he, he does all of these things, whether it's defensive rebounding, whether it's, you know, setting up his teammates, keeping the offense flowing, you know, scoring for himself, uh, you know, being able to, to be used in a variety of different manners on offense. Um, and yet there's a lot of skepticism. Okay. Is he going to get picked apart defensively? Is he going to get put into situations like some other centers have in recent years where, you know, he's just getting played off the court? And I think, his first round matchup with San Antonio, uh, it's actually pretty good for him. I- I'm not sure he's going to have to worry about uh, being exploited like he would have against maybe some teams that'd be more likely to go to small ball lineups or really spread things out. So I think that's an opportunity for Jokic to really show what he can do. Uh, at the same time, if they do advance in the postseason, like eventually those uh, lineup and matchup issues are coming for him. And I think that his critics are going to uh, just kind of be sitting there on the edge of their seats waiting to see if, if he gets picked apart like some other centers have in the past. So to me, it, it's just a fact that he has not established his playoff reputation yet. He's only, you know, I think in his fourth season, never been to the postseason before. It's going to be his first taste of it. A lot of people expect Denver maybe to be an upset team, you know, a team that can get knocked off early just because they're so inexperienced and their core is so young. And I think people might just be sleeping on Jokic a little bit in terms of how well he's going to be able to perform. And so from that standpoint, uh, I put him in this category. The thing I've seen against Jokic because I've watched Gobert play him is if you can single coverage Jokic, which is not easy, it takes away his mojo because his mojo is to dish and to pass and to get guys involved. And what what Gobert is able to do is guard Jokic and then everyone stays tight on their man and he can't play that game. He goes and gets his some of the time, but then he struggles with that and he actually tapped out of the last two games against Gobert. But I don't think he has a, in that side of the bracket, he doesn't have a center that can cause him that kind of problems unless it would be Steven Adams in the second round. But I, maybe, but I, it, I don't, I'm not sure that there's that kind of player that's going to be able to cause Jokic that difficulty. Yeah, we talked about Portland and Houston being sort of the big losers from the craziness of the of the last night of regular season. I mean, Denver was the huge winner. I think this bracket sets up, you know, brilliantly for them. 
they can't ask for really anything more. And, you know, at the same time, that guarantees nothing. I mean, I think there's some real serious questions about not only Jokic, but some of their other young guys. I mean, you know, Gary Harris, uh, you know, Jamal Murray, they're in their first playoffs as well. What do they look like? Uh, their wings have been real inconsistent here down the stretch. They've had a, you know, a real tough last couple of weeks. I think they're five and five in their last 10 coming in. Uh, and we know that they're a poor road team too, right? So if they don't win those first two games at home, uh, now all of a sudden that series starts to look really scary against San Antonio. So uh, to me, it's it's a pretty juicy matchup. I, I like how that one broke down. It might be a series that doesn't get huge ratings, but it's more for just sort of the basketball nerds, the league pass diehards to watch that one. Uh, but I, I think you know Jokic and, and him establishing his playoff uh, reputation is one of the top storylines across the entire postseason for me. If I'm going to take the Spurs, here would be why the – Denver Nuggets allow the most corner threes of any team in the NBA, and the San Antonio Spurs are the number one best corner three shooting team in the league. They take the least. So I don't know that they'll be able to get enough of them to have an impact because they don't take a lot of threes. But when they do get corner threes, they're the number one corner three shooting team in the league, and Denver allows the most. So keep an eye on that in that series. Ben Golliver, Washington Post analyst with us. Catch that piece he wrote on Nikola Jokic. What player will we think of differently? Maybe better, maybe worse in the Western Conference. What matchup does he want and who wins the West? And we'll do the East right after that. It's all continuing on Locked on NBA. Make sure you get our conference previews on the same feed on Locked on NBA. All you have to do is get in your car and tell your smart device to play podcast. Locked on NBA. Ben Golliver, Washington Post, is our guest. Who is the player whose reputation we will think of most differently at the end of this playoffs, in the Western Conference, either better or worse? I'm going to swing big for you, okay? I'm going for Kevin Durant. I think not only are the Warriors going to win their third straight title, I think Kevin Durant's going to win his third straight finals MVP. I think he's the best overall talent in the game right now, especially when he's fully locked in. They've been playing great basketball as a team these last couple of weeks. He seems to have kind of pulled through some of his moody slumps. And I think by mid-June, we're all going to be sitting around here and – much more ready than ever before, if not completely ready to say, okay, Katie, it, it's your turn on the throne. You've passed LeBron as the best player, the number one talent in the league. I don't think Utah can do it, but if Utah beats Houston, what does it do to Harden? Man, that's a great question. I mean, they're, uh, I think Houston's going to win that series, but I would be worried for Harden's reputation of what happens if they get, uh, you know, smoked in that second round because I think Golden State's going to have such an easy time in the first round. Like they're saying all the right things, being very respectful of the Clippers, but to me, that's going to be a four game series. And when I look at Houston, Utah, I see maybe more of a six or seven game series. I think it's going to be tougher for the Rockets, uh, than it was last year. And so if you're coming in with a, a little bit of a, a fatigue deficit, if you're Harden, Golden State's just sort of waiting for their first, uh, you know, real competition. Uh, they're going to have the home court advantage. I worry that uh, that that could be a, a mix where Harden, uh, you know, succumbs to some of the same issues he had against Golden State in the playoffs of the past. Uh, but to me, you know, even though he's always in this MVP conversation, in terms of his reputation, is he really thought of as like a top three player? Or is he still more in that four, five, six range where? People acknowledge he's the best individual scorer in the game, but maybe not the best overall player. And so from that standpoint, even if he lost to Golden State in the second round, uh, I think he'd probably be in a similar range. The other guy that I think is the wild card here, and I might just be too in the bag for what a great job Terry Stotts has done in Portland and just not 
valuing how bad Ennis Cantor is defensively. I mean, I talked to three coaches in the league yesterday preparing for the Blazers, thinking that's who the Jazz were going to play, and all of them just said, you know, they dropped Cantor and he's just terrible defensively. So maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but I actually still think Dame Lillard has a notch to go, and if he could win a series, I think he – I mean, I know he's first-team NBA, but kind of to your point right there, I feel like he's first-team NBA, but he's not in that group. Does that make sense? No, no question about it. I mean, I think he's been fighting for that respect for a while. And you even look at like the conversation around first team all NBA this year. Like, I think a lot of people just wrote in Steph no matter what over Damon didn't even think about it. And I think it'll probably uh, play out that way where it's Steph and Harden and people are, you know, just saying, okay, well, Dame can settle for second team. And I, I bet that probably bugs him as a competitor. You know, one other thing on cancer, this might sound mean. But he gets scored on so often and so easily. It's amazing that he's like stuck with his NBA career. You know what I mean? Like it just night after night after night, people put points on him and it's just got to be demoralizing at some point. And I'm right there with those coaches who are sort of picking him apart is it's really, really rough when we get to this stage of the playoffs and, you know, your weak link is basically what you get judged on. You know, whoever can be picked on is, uh, you know, how far you're going to go. And I think he's that for them. And, you know, I also wonder in their matchup, like a guy like Zach Collins is a pretty interesting player, but if he's trying to bang with a, a Steven Ooh. Adams down low, I'm not sure that's going to work out, right? By the way, when your vet's Al Jefferson, that's what happens. Uh, <laughs> you've given me your pick. Do you have one? Are you, is Houston Golden State the matchup you're most interested to see? No question about it. Uh, to me, they have a chance to be the top two teams to actually win the finals this year. I think if it was a 1-16 to bracket, I would really like Houston's ability to sneak out uh, from the other side of it, uh, they've been playing great basketball down the stretch. I think that this is some real adversity for them in terms of how the um, the matchups broke down. Uh, hopefully they can pull themselves together after a pretty wild night. Uh, but to me, I think that's going to be Golden State's stiffest test the whole way through. Um, I, what I worry about in the finals for Golden State is just that, you know, the Eastern Conference teams, none of them have really been there with the exception of Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. I mean, you look at, and, and Kyrie in Boston, but I don't expect Boston to make it through. And so I think whichever team winds up being in that finals, you know, the glare, uh, you know, all the excitement, the attention, the scrutiny. I think that Golden State's going to have a massive advantage in that in that series. Uh, just like we saw in 2015, their first time there, they were looking around at all the bright lights and a little bit overwhelmed. And I think that would happen to basically whoever they played in the finals. And I, I think that's going to make the finals pretty quick this year. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Houston's got the experience. They've matched up with Golden State before. They've uh, created problems for Golden State before. Uh, Harden's playing the best basketball of his entire career. Chris Paul's looked pretty good here down the stretch. And they should be ha- they should be healthy uh, you know, for that second round matchup, you know, the, the injuries and the fatigue and all that stuff hopefully won't accumulate for them uh, by the time they face Golden State. So to me, uh, it's the single most interesting matchup in the whole bracket. Let's switch it to the Eastern Conference. Do you have a first round upset in what has been a top heavy conference all year? You know, I've got uh, pure chalk over there. I think the the two things to watch would be the injuries, right? So Boston's you know, going to be without Marcus Smart. Um, and Indiana is definitely better than most people think. Now, I, I'm not saying they're great, and I don't even think they're that big of a threat to Boston. Uh, but I, I do think that they've been overlooked and slept on by most people all season. Uh, and the other one would be Joel Embiid with the Sixers. I mean, that's a huge, huge question mark. And, you know, you look back at their season, all of these short-sighted moves they made with the trades, you know, going for Jimmy Butler, cashing in for Tobias Harris and all that. But wasn't the most short-sighted move of all the way they handled Joel Embiid's minutes this year? It seemed like he was just playing crazy minutes on the back-to-backs, you know, ramping up much higher 
than he might have been, you know, in, in previous parts of his career. And I just wonder if that caught up with them a little bit. And I still think they have enough to get past Brooklyn in that three, six matchup. But to me, that that's a real, real red flag of all these teams in the first round in the East to, to be kind of nervous for. I think I'm most nervous for Philly. Let me throw one at you. Since February 1st, the fourth best differential in the NBA is the Orlando Magic. And they're the number one defense in the NBA since February 1st. And they're the number eight offense in the league. Is there any chance they cause Toronto problems? I don't see it, but I think that they're a great story. I mean, you know, we, we talked about like the Mike Budenholzer bump that Milwaukee got. Uh, and how obviously that was going to sort of transform them from the Jason Kidd era. I think there's a legit Steve Clifford bounce or bump, whatever you want to call it, where you know, he'll come in, he'll look at whoever you've got, and he's going to be able to you know lift you up uh, X number of wins just based on his uh, defensive philosophies, getting people to buy in, establishing a culture, holding guys accountable. Now, how long will that last? You know, is he going to be able to help that team take the next step uh, in the future? I'm not sure, but. I think he got Orlando to, to essentially max out, uh, you know, its its regular season success. You know, to me, I look at Toronto and I feel like they're kind of a sleeping giant. You know, I talked to their front office uh, a little bit this week. They're really excited for the playoffs. One thing that they, they were harping on uh, to me was just how new of a team this group is with Kawhi, with Danny Green, with Marcus Gasol. I think they feel like a lot of the baggage that has kind of uh, surrounded them in past playoffs. Uh, is no longer there just because so many of the faces are new. And and even guys like Pascal Siakam, who was there last year, he's obviously in a much different, more pronounced role this year. So uh, I think that they're entering uh, the postseason a little bit slept on. I think they're going to be able to take care of Orlando in five games. Be interesting to see. I, I just think Orlando deserves a little credit, I guess. We'll continue to find out what players have the most on the line reputation-wise, in the Eastern Conference with the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. We've launched Major League Baseball. If you're a baseball fan, there's a great new Locked on MLB show with Sully. It's getting rave reviews, so make sure you check that out on your Himalaya app, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And remember, Locked on NBA is loaded with playoff coverage for you. What player's reputation has the biggest impact in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? Well, it's got to be Kyrie Irving, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is open and shut. I mean, this guy's been telling us all year about how great he is, what an amazing leader he is, how he's going to be the answer to all of their questions. Um, and now let's, you know, let's see it, you know, prove it. You've got some real adversity with this Marcus Smart injury. I mean, that's a real hole they've got to fill. You've got a talented team, you know, Al Horford's phenomenal big man inside. You've got a lot of young guys who are turning to you to be the leader, uh, but also to keep them involved. So the ball's in your hands. Let, let's see what you can do. To me, I think Boston's going to be able to get through Indiana without too much trouble in the first round. But when I look at that second-round matchup with Milwaukee, that's going to be serious adversity for the Boston Celtics, especially if they don't have smart. Uh, I mean, they need to pull out really you know, all the stops to beat Milwaukee last year. And the Bucks had no structure, no framework, no plan other than just going to Giannis and Chris Middleton and saying, you know, do everything for us. Uh, to me, the Bucks, even though they've been incredible in the number one seed this year, I think they have another, uh, you know, step up to go, you know, another, another cut that they haven't reached quite yet. And that's just because they haven't played Giannis a ton of minutes. And because I think Giannis, um, is going to prove to be the, the best player in the Eastern Conference when this all shakes out. So I think that's kind of a titanic matchup there in the second round between, uh, Boston and Milwaukee. And I think there's an awful lot of pressure 
on Kyrie to live up to all of his own uh, his own talk and his own hype that's been coming through all season. What about Ben Simmons? No doubt. Uh, no doubt about it. I think that uh, the advantage there is that he doesn't hype himself up as much. So, you know, he, he's not walking into uh, major scrutiny. But I think the Sixers go as far as he takes them. I mean, Embiid's their best player. Jimmy Butler is probably going to be their closer. Uh, but when you look at, okay, how are you really going to be able to beat high-level teams? It's going to take huge performances from Simmons, and that's just not what we got in last year's second round. Um, it's baffling to me that he hasn't made any progress whatsoever on his jumper. I mean, it, it, as soon as anyone, high school players, you know, middle school players, could look back at that the tape from that series last year against Boston and say, look, man, if you want to be this big-time top 10 all, you know, uh, NBA player, You've got to figure something out there. You've got to at least make gradual progress. We've seen it from Giannis in Milwaukee, getting more comfortable with the off the dribble three, getting more comfortable uh, catch and shoot threes. You know, trying to mix it in to keep the defense honest. And with Simmons, it's just you know a complete uh, you know blank wall. I mean, he hasn't even considered it. And I do think he's probably ripe to get exposed again here in the playoffs for that reason. There's so much murmuring around Philadelphia. I don't even know what's true and what's not true. I've I've heard more stuff. Right, more. I mean, there's there's two different. I don't know how to explain this. Um, there's the stuff everybody talks about. Then there's the stuff everybody alludes to, and then there's the stuff that's being murmured about. Right, and that third level probably never usually makes the airwaves until I do this. Um, right, don't you feel like that's the three kind of levels we're talking about? This stuff, it's out there. There's the stuff that's being insinuated. Like now, everyone's saying, "Oh, well, I insinuated that magic was right." And like now, then there's there's more kind of murmur around and dysfunction supposedly around the 76ers this year. I don't even know if it's true. That's why I'm not going to get specific. But this playoff series will be interesting to me. And if for some reason it goes wrong, the amount they gave up for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris is unbelievable if something goes wrong here and they A, lose early and B, don't keep both those guys. Yeah, no question. I mean, I don't know about the second level, third level talk, all that. I could tell you at the top level, if they don't make the finals, their entire plan here in terms of accelerating their timeline, going out and swinging big, you know, Elton Brand, you know, his first year on the job, just taking these huge cuts to swing for the fences is going to look terrible. I mean, I thought the Tobias Harris trade was the worst trade at the deadline. And just in terms of pure value, you understand why they did it. You can justify it saying, hey, that's a nice fit with Embiid. You know, going forward, he's going to be a culture guy and it's going to work and, and you just pay to keep him. You'll be happy. But, uh, you know, to me, that was really questionable based on how much all they gave, they gave up. And same deal with the Butler trade. I mean, that one, I'm not sure the price was quite as high, you know, in terms of, you know, what they parted with. Uh, but still just the, the thought behind it in terms of, okay, we're going to get a guy in the last year who, who wants a big payday this summer. You know, are you going to be on the hook to be that team to do it? You know, to me, you know, Elton Brand faces more scrutiny, uh, you know, more of a bullseye than any other executive in the league, you know, for, for a playoff team. Because, you know, even if Toronto, like, you know, loses Kawhi Leonard in free agency uh, this summer, it was still a worthwhile gamble. You know, even if uh, Golden State loses Kevin Durant to the New York Knicks, it's not like anyone's going to blame Bob Myers for that, for his recruiting efforts. But if Philly uh, doesn't, you know, strikes out in this postseason, like you mentioned, doesn't get over the hump, and then one or two of those guys walks, 
they're going to be sitting around saying, why did we burn all these assets to go nowhere in the playoffs? And what's the plan going forward? Uh, also, one other underrated wrinkle to all of their moves is that they lost Landry Shamit, who can really play. And now they're going to have to have a decision on J.J. Redick, who's getting older, uh, who's already been you know, struggling on defense at this point of his career. And he's a free agent, too. They're going to have to pay him as well. So who knows what his future is? But that could be another uh, roster and rotation hole that opens up because of these other moves that they uh, made when they easily could have just you know, plugged Sham into that hole and gone forward you know, for the next five years. So uh, to me, Elton Brand is, is absolutely not like he's on the hot seat because he just got there. And I think he's going to have a, a few years to do what he wants to do. But man, uh, you know, his, his, uh, Twitter is going to be blowing up if this thing doesn't go quite right. What is the matchup you want to see the most in the Eastern Conference? It's a second round matchup, uh, you know, Boston, Milwaukee. You know, I, I think you can make a, a real case for Milwaukee, Toronto being a pretty fun matchup just because of the Giannis and Kawhi factor and, and, you know, kind of the, the dueling, you know, top two seeds. I mean, that could be a pretty nice Eastern Conference finals, but, uh, to me, it's the rematch factor uh, because they, they played last year. It's a little bit like Giannis needs to get over the hump, right? It's a little bit of that Michael Jordan versus the Pistons thing. Um, and I think that's ultimately sort of the biggest storyline to me from the Eastern Conference is Giannis is here now. He's ready to go. He was my MVP for this season. He led the Bucks to the league's best record, top point differential, uh, best player on their defense, best player on their offense by a mile. So let's see what he could do now uh, when everyone's looking at him, when everybody is, you know, gearing their defenses to stopping him. And I think the, you know, the matchup within the matchup of like Brad Stevens versus Giannis is going to be fun to watch too. Uh, it's interesting. The two, I, I'm so, I think I have this fantasy viewpoint on this one. Indiana and Boston are so contrasting. I can't wait to watch that, right? Indiana's just a bunch of $11 million players that are kind of grinding their way <laughs> through the NBA. And Boston's a bunch of players who all think they're great. Right, everybody in Boston thinks they're great. Some of them are right, some of them aren't. But most of the players on Boston think they're better than they are. Um, and both the guys in Indiana, it seems, you know, they just kind of fit. And um, I think it's an interesting that I'm. I have a fantasy that that one gets, you know, that that one gets rolling and gets to six or seven games, and you start to, you know, that the whole storyline develops that Boston with all these stars and can they put it together? And you know, I don't know. That one intrigues me. And it's funny because the other side of the bracket um, where I would be more interested in watching Milwaukee play Philadelphia, if those two could ever, if those two match up um, to have the Ben Simmons Giannis matchup would be the one that I'd want to see. And Joel Embiid Lopez with Lopez just dropping back to the rim. I, I think that would be a really intriguing series. I don't know if we'll ever get to that one. Uh, you, you know, it might be yeah. it might be better for Ben Simmons if they don't get that one because he was getting abused by Giannis the last couple of times right. they played for sure, and vice versa. I mean, Embiid has his way with the Bucks too, and it almost winds up becoming like an Embiid versus Giannis death match. Uh, you know, the last man standing is the one who wins that series. It sounds like you want to pick the Pacers to upset, though. Go out there and do it. Let's hear it. I can't quite get there, but um, <laughs> no, the one I want to pick, by the way, is Philadelphia to win the East. Oh, wow. I, I don't see it. Make the case. Um, I don't really see it either other than almost if you're increasing minutes on everyone, all their weaknesses, most of their weaknesses go away. Their starting five is incredible. They've played the, the, you know, the net ratings when those guys are together has been awesome. I'm just concerned. Okay. Reddick's had some postseason issues, you know, translating his game to the playoffs once people lock in on him. The Embiid health thing really spooks me because he's, you know, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Tobias has never done it in the postseason before at all to any degree. So what's that going to look like? 
I think Jimmy's got some tendencies where he's going to want to take over if it gets tight. That may not be the best thing for their team. And then Simmons is the ultimate wild card, as we already discussed. So I'm not sure which of those things are going to go wrong and exactly against who and when. I guess I'm just banking on one of those shortcomings, you know, kind of biting them and and holding them back from, you know, what could be their ceiling. I 100% agree with everything you said, which is why I'm not doing it. Um, but it's – I look at teams at this point when I'm making a pick. You know, the Warriors, it's simple. But it, – and it's a little bit the – this is also why you take Milwaukee um, or maybe why you take Toronto, frankly. Um, you have to go assume that Giannis is playing five more minutes. And, you know, that's a big deal that if Giannis is playing five more minutes than he's been playing in the regular season. Because when Giannis is on the floor, they're great, right? Like, they're defense. Right. Like, Giannis has got one of the best plus minus defense, defenses and offenses, and he's playing. And, you know, when Miritich has been with them, um, their offense has been really unbelievable. And so if they just kind of stretch all those things and you get a little, you know, you get a little less of all of their Tony Snells or Sterling Browns or whatever other minutes. That makes them an awful lot better. I just, that's the same thought I have on Philly, but, um, and for whatever reason, and I have no explanation for this, and I may just rue this. There's no question in my mind the best team I saw all year was Toronto. But really? some, yeah, the two times I watched them, they were in person, they were better, they were faster and better, and they were great. They were truly great. Um, I didn't love the Gasol trade, so maybe in the, the plus minus on that is showing to be incredible, frankly. Um, I think they're plus 20 differential with Gasol on the floor. It's been just totally insane. Their offense is amazing when he's on the floor. So I probably need to concede that I was wrong there. Um, Toronto's the best team I saw all year. I just can't pick them for some reason. I don't have any yeah. idea why. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the Virginia factor of the college tournament, right, where everyone's so hung up on the past uh, – and the past losses, okay, what does that mean for them this year? I could see them doing something like Virginia did where they make the finals after everyone kind of wrote them off as the same old, same old because they actually are a much different team. Hey, real quick on the Giannis minutes thing. Now, I think he averaged 33 per game during the regular season. You know, when LeBron was 24 years old, he averaged 41 minutes per game in the playoffs. And so you're saying maybe an extra five minutes for Giannis. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing an extra 10 minutes from Giannis or an extra eight or nine, 10 minutes from Giannis, uh, especially as they get, you know, deeper into the playoffs. Some of that is just because they've had injuries there in Milwaukee, but some of that is because I think this guy is built for it. You know, he's at the you know, prime of his career in terms of his physical strength. He's obviously worked on his body a lot. He's in great shape. And I think he's the most overwhelming athlete in the conference. And so, you know, I don't know if you want to run him into the ground like those Cleveland teams did, you know, super early in his career where LeBron barely came off the court during the playoffs. But I think there's a lot of upward mobility potential there for Giannis's playing time. He's Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. Keep reading him. He does great work. You can catch his Open Floor podcast as well. And now that you're done with this podcast, go catch our Eastern Conference and Western Conference previews on the Lockdown NBA feed. Thanks very much, Ben. A pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much and take care. This has been Locked on NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.